0: All right, so tonight we get to to start part one, the very beginning of Habakkuk. And let me read for us the verses that we'll be covering tonight, which is verses one to 11. I know 11 verses in one evening is relatively ambitious, and we'll see how we do. Let me read them first though, and then we will dig in and consider God's word together. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted." Verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves, Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a swift eagle to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At the rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like a wind and go on. Guilty men whose God is their own, whose might is their own God. Let's pray and then we'll consider this today. Lord, whenever we do open your word, we are aware of our dependence on you. That we are laying hold of the very word of God, and it is our desire that we would lay hold of the purpose that you've given it to us, that we would understand the significance and meaning of this passage, that we would understand the relevance to our own lives and the thoughts. And God, that you would just bless and assist this time that we come together. Here we are in Jesus' name, that you might meet us and teach us through your word. Be pleased, O God, to use me for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we start by way of introduction to the book of Habakkuk, and I'm gonna make this somewhat brief because in the end, what the, what the book actually says is what matters most. You know, some people get so caught up in the author and who is the author and what is he what did he go through. But listen, no matter who wrote the book of Habakkuk, which, by the way, No matter who wrote it, everyone who wrote Scripture was born along by the of God. And so who he what was his childhood experience? What what was the the economic, social background that he grew up in? What was his career path prior to prophet? All relevant to reading the passages, hearing what it says, and learn what it means. Okay? But here, the orator or the author is Habakkuk. And one of the things about this one, we know nothing about this man. So those who want to make a big deal of that, they get in trouble when it comes to Habakkuk because there's not much they can say or do. I mean, there are some myths woven into Bell and the Dragon and the Apocrypha. Um, crazy stuff like he was walking one day with a bowl of pottage and then suddenly he was swept away and in the lion's den giving it to Daniel and then back, you know, crazy imaginary stuff that's, that, you know, that all fiction is full of uh, 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 crazy imaginary stuff. But the scripture is not fiction. That's why we stick with the word of God, not these apocryphal books Uh, The occasion isn't all that different than so many occasions into which the prophetic books are written. It won't be a surprise, I've sadly, in in the few years we've been meeting together here in this church, so often introduced a passage of scripture that says, this was written during a time of great wickedness and apostasy among the Jewish people. How many times do we see that? Because how many times are the prophets called to go into the midst of those people in their sin and pronounce God's warnings and judgments against them? For those who are keenly interested, this is written in the early 600s BC. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah, who seems to be the primary person and people that this book is spoken to. Uh, the most powerful nation in the world at this time, the singular dominating world power was the Chaldeans. We know them by their other name, the Babylonians. okay Chaldeans and Babylonians are the same people they would this would be a time and season where Nebuchadnezzar himself in leading the Chaldean Babylonians was dominating country after country, people after people, devastating them brutally with no mercy at all. So that's the occasion. That's the, uh, that's the orator. Now, I want to speak briefly about the oracle. Now, my translation says the oracle. Some may have a translation that says The burden. Some may have a translation that says the prophecy. Literally, this particular word is most literally burden. And I want us to get the sense of it. Uh, There are a couple different words for prophecy used in the Old Testament. But this is a distinctive one. And as time went by, and this is the challenge that happened. As time went by, believe it or not. As the wickedness of Israel continued to abound more and more, and then you have a divided kingdom, you ended up having more and more prophets rise up and begin to speak in Israel as well as over in Judah, where you had these prophets rising up. You know what else you had rising up? False prophets. Does that happen in our world? Yes. It, where there's false, where there's true prophets, there's false prophets. Where there's faithful teachers, there's unfaithful and false teachers. That's simply the way that it works. But the idea of this, and it carries an important sense, because everybody was trying to say, you know, God spoke to me and said, God told me this and said, but this particular phrase uh, has the sense that, that um, God has laid this upon me and now I must bear it to the people. It would be a, it would be the same word that we be used if you've got a load of materials that you need to uh, deliver to a shop that's gonna sell it. You put that burden onto your donkey, and you let that don- and that donkey then carries that burden to where it's supposed to go and delivers it. So the, the, the goal of uh, such a word like this arising in the context of prophecy wanted to distinguish, look, this, isn't, this should not be just somebody sharing their feelings, you know? I just had this, uh, this, this strong feeling. That's not, that's not what the word of God is. The, the, the depth and level of the Word of God is, is, is stronger than that. and I've given you a few more verses. You can see this same word is used in Proverbs 30, verse 1, and, and actually 31 as well for uh, the words of Lemuel. Uh, the words of Agur, the son of uh, uh, Jechah, the oracle, and some say the burden. The point is what God laid on him. In Isaiah 14, 28, in the year uh, that King Ahaz died, came this oracle, or some translations, burden. But I want to take our attention very briefly so that we catch the sense of what I'm attempting to say to you to Jeremiah chapter 23. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 23 God is dealing very specifically with the issue of false prophets. One of the ways that we know that God is dealing with false prophets is cuz he not only says so, but let me begin reading in verse 21. Even though I said verse 28, I'm going to start in verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. Now, you see a problem? God didn't send them, yet they went ahead and ran. God didn't speak to them, but then they stood before the people and dared to speak on their behalf. Ah, what it says in verse 22, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have claimed my words to the people and they would. Them from their evil way. In other words, here's the beauty. You fancy yourself a prophet. Well, listen, if God hasn't spoken to you, don't worry. He has already spoken in his word. If you really want to speak on his behalf, don't run out and blab a bunch of nonsense. Go ahead and take delivered through Moses and those before you and declare that and in declaring that in declaring God's counsel to the people God's words to the people they would have turned from their evil way it would have effect if you if you don't have a new word from me don't worry about it you're not necessarily at a loss And actually, using my already given word, God can work mightily among his people. We see the same fear stoked in people's hearts and minds today. Always uh, uh, thinking, oh, we need something new, we need something new. Carry on down, if you would, to verse 28. Verse 28 is again dealing with the issue where you've got people who are receiving dreams and people who are um, sometimes confusing maybe their own thoughts with Maybe something God is communicating to them or whatever source even we're warned in 1 John to test every spirit for not every spirit is of God. And that even Satan himself may appear as an angel of light. But it says here in verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. And then he compares the one to the other. What has straw in common with wheat? The, the straw is equated with the, with the dreams, and the wheat is equated with the word. Now, straw is not utterly useless. It's just not as useful. It's particularly useful for stoking fires. But nonetheless, so it, 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 it is of uh, limited use. You can feed it to, uh, to cattle and such, but wheat is much more valuable, much more beneficial, much more useful, much more nourishing. Then it goes on to say uh, within that context, uh, after that comparison, declare verse 29, is not my word like a fire? And that's a beautiful thing because if you put the fire up to the straw, what will happen to it? She burns away. So if somebody's dream has nothing of value to communicate to the saints, it does not accord with and and corroborate the the word of god then it won't end up having a devastating effect the word will bring an end to that and then further it says and like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces what a strength of the word of god that is spoken of there but look what it says in verse 30 therefore behold i am against the prophets declares the lord who steal my words from one another the sense of that is this: when that guy made up his prophecy, people liked it; they responded well. So I'm going to work a prophecy pretty similar to that because it kind of gets the people. Would people do that? Yeah, I'm sorry, they do. Not all, not everyone, but there are some who do. Behold, I'm against verse 31. The prophets declares the Lord, who use their tongues. And declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against the those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them, I did not charge them. They do not profit this people at all. In other words, sometimes one gets jealous of another. Well, I had a dream too. Okay, well, what's your dream? Uh, french fries who knows what he's gonna he's gonna there's this competition between them for influence over the people for prestige among them instead of the simple reality that was the real calling of the prophets what God says to you you say to the people sometimes again we look at this and think oh if God had only done with them as he did with Ezekiel Ezekiel, we remember when God would speak with Ezekiel, he would loosen his tongue and he would be able to speak. As soon as he finished telling the prophecy that God had given him to deliver, his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth and he was mute until the next time God gave him a message. I'm still praying that begins to happen. Uh, within this sense, so, so to carry this, look what it says further. when one, Verse 33. When one of this people, or a prophet, or a priest, asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? Or, you know, what is the Lord laid on you that you're supposed to bring to us? You shall say to them, I'm reading from the ESV, you are the burden. Now some translations say, what burden? But uh, the the way that the language unfolds in this passage, it it's a play on words that, that that basically when someone says comes to say tell me the burden of the Lord yeah you are the one who is the burden you are what burdens the Lord if I was to take it most literally which is and and he will cast you off so the thing is so the thing that, a a, a sense a burden is laid upon me a a a, a debt is laid upon me woe if I do not preach the gospel the sense is uh, I've got this and and I've got to get it off because that's what God has entrusted to me well the sense is well you're God's burden and you know what he's gonna throw you off Uh uh-oh because look what they should be doing instead uh, I will cast you off, declares the Lord. Verse 34. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says, The burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus you shall say to every one, to his neighbor, and to his brother, What has the Lord answered, or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall not mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. You got to stop. You know, if if you guys want to convey your your subjective understanding may or may not be leading you, go ahead and keep that, but make a distinction between when God really says something and gives a definitive authoritative word and otherwise. Stop confusing those things. Because when you do so, you're weakening it. So now we jump back over to Habakkuk, a burden from the Lord. God had laid this upon him, and I'm thankful that he did. Because one of the ways that we often can see that uh, the Spirit so moving and a prophet compelled by the burden of God is he ends up presenting himself. I mean, as we begin reading this, Habakkuk is not a hero. You actually read it and you you begin to think, what is wrong with this man? Where is his faith in God? How dare he talk to and challenge God like that? which normally you wouldn't want to present yourself in that light. That's one of the things that those who study uh, the Scripture and the writings of the Scripture can note of it in such distinction to other writings historically. You know, you get writings of Egyptians, and each of their pharaohs are some kind of deified kings who never did anything wrong and always did right and their words were this, they made the sunrise, all that nonsense, whereas the the, the writers of scripture and the kings of scripture, their weaknesses, their stumbling, their failures, the way that it's offset in the Christian books is is they, they are expressed, they are delivered, warts and all. And Habakkuk is delivered in that way. And there's there's a sense in which probably if God had not laid it on him to make known the engagement that they had had with one another, he would have really loved to keep that secret. Because how many of us are excited when we have been doubtful, when we have not trusted God? When we have been fearful, when we have been weak, when we have stumbled, how many of us are anxious to get that out there to everybody? I don't think so. When we do something good, we want to get it out there. So let's begin getting through this then. And I let the first, uh, verse two to four. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise the law is paralyzed justice never goes forth the wicked surround the righteous justice goes forth perverted first I want us to look at his crying appeal and it, 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 it comes in this way how long that's his first statement right so it's a question of duration how long are "'Oh, Lord, shall I cry for help?' Now, I, again, I, I might ask you this. How long has he been crying for help? And you and I say, "'I don't know,' but we would hope that by the time he's saying, "'How long, O oh Lord, will I cry for help?' And you not hear that it's been longer than a day." Right? Longer than a week? I mean, at what point does it seem reasonable for someone to think, I don't think God's listening to me? Well, he cries out how long, but the how long cry is not unique to him. We see it um, in the Psalms. Look what it says in Psalm 13, 1 to 3. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy exalt over me? Consider and answer, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Do you hear that sense that uh, almost woven into the how long there is I'm about at the end of my rope. This is about all I can take To a degree it feels like it's already gone on longer than I can take Brothers and sisters you ever been there? You ever felt that way? You're not alone (laughs) The psalmist have felt that way God's people have felt that way in centuries because we know that God's ways are not our ways and his 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 timetable is not our timetable but he is powerful and he is purposeful. But we, we see these cries and we can identify with them. How long, O Lord? Psalm 35, 17. Will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 74. How long, O Lord? Verse 10. Uh, o God, is the foe to scoff and the enemy to revile? So sometimes it's how long before you, you meet me at my desperate need? And then sometimes it's. How long, O Lord, you let them get away with that? Right? Both of those things are... are, So listen, with regard, regard to God granting us mercifully our plea, we oft may feel like it takes too long. With regard to God pouring out judgment against the wicked, we oft may feel God takes too long but we, I always try to remind you of this. What does it tell us in Peter? One day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So even if the Lord were to wait my whole life long and still not grant my day, it hasn't even been the whole morning yet in the purposes of God. And with to my present circumstances but when I'm in eternity not so much which is why as we've looked at recently we're reminded of those passages this light momentary affliction is nothing considered to the eternal weight. listen on Psalm 89 how long O Lord will you hide yourself forever how long Will your wrath burn like fire? So both ways. How does it go within this? There's also a cry for word. The word help is not literally in it. It's in the word cry, and and when someone cries for help, what I've noted here is sometimes the Lord answers. Yes, my distress. The psalmist says, "Called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help." Same word. From his temple he heard me, and my cry reached his ears. So one feels like, and, and this is part of the fun of the, the Hebrew language. One feels like, I'm saying it, I'm saying it, he's not hearing it. Well, is he not hearing it? When ultimately one judge for every careless word that they've uttered, I ask, them, is there anything anyone's ever uttered that he's so this is so it's not that he's not hearing it he it's that he's not answering it with the yes that i'm kind of demanding oh lord my god i i'm on page two at the top i cried to you for help and you have healed me Oh, Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You have restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. Jonah says likewise in Jonah 2, 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, you heard my voice. And so the crossover begins to come is that often for the Hebrew, the sense is hearing is often a heeding and responding. Okay? So people may have ears, but they do not hear. Well, they could probably repeat word for word what Jesus said, but when he says, he who has ears, let him hear, he's not talking about just repeat it word for word. It's talking about take what is said and hold it and keep it and follow it. Uh, Psalm uh, 31, 22 I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Now listen, even as I've given you some examples where when the cries go out to God for help and God meets with help, the scriptures also give us ample and less desirable in our humanity examples of times people have cried out and the answer is no. No. And or not now. Now remember, since we don't necessarily get a parting of the cloud and a voice coming through, we don't know if it's a no or a not now. So we keep hoping it's a not now. And we keep praying, how long? So now we understand where where these are where these men are coming from, right? But we see sometimes the yes come. And then sometimes the nose, Job, Job says, behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call out for help, but there is no justice. I mean, those are similar words, right? Justice and help, similar words, what we're seeing here in, in Habakkuk. Job 24, out of the city and the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. These people are being oppressed, they're being brutalized, they're calling out to God for help, and yet the judgment of God against the oppressors, it ain't happening. What's going on? Job 30, verse 20, I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Again, we often, with a little bit more insight than Job had in those days, um, would say this, well, God is answering you. (laughs) The answer's not yes. (laughs) The answer is either no or not now. But there is never a point at which God is not answering. It's scary that we often think that a no is a non-answer. No is an answer. You know, if, you, if a child asks a parent a question and the parent says no, and the child is the child gonna say, Well, why won't you answer me? Can I do it or not? The answer is no. Please give me an answer. Can I do it or not? Well, see the challenge, so so we understand no as an answer. But listen, when it's a yes answer, you don't hear the word yes. You only see the power of God in his providence, grant the help, grant the deliverance, grant the healing, and so you know the yes by what God does, right? You also know the no by what God doesn't do. None of them are answers in the same sense that we're getting a voice from heaven. And again, with the no, we live with the uncertainty, but tomorrow? But tomorrow? And and then there's a certain point after the but tomorrows that we do say, how long? Oh, just how long, oh Lord? But you see the desperation, the cry out for help. Lamentations ends it by saying, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Now with that I just want to get, give a few thoughts before we move on to the next section and the, and this is to remember this. When we pray uh, prayer that that it, it, just, just like in the days of old as well as in the days of new listen. Everything that ever happens in the history of mankind is because what God in His divine will has purposed to bring about. Whether, whether permitting it in the wicked acts of men, whether purposing it or repurposing it, directing wicked men to purpose as He would with Nebuchadnezzar, or whether it is thwarting the will of men and intervening in mighty and miraculous ways, God's perfect will always prevails. That's what we often call God's providential will, his decretive will. Always prevails. And listen, so when we pray, we know prayer, let it never be in our minds of the wills. Because if we think our prayer is going to be of the wills, whose strong will? Are you going to defeat the will of God? Listen, will you? Perseverance. Get God do something He does Oh, of course. Now here's the better thing about it. If you understand His ways are better than ours, He is perfect. He is all wise. Would you really ever want for you to change your mind? Always come to us and say, God, this is from my, goodness, from my circumstances. This is my need. This is my cry. This is my desire. Oh, God, please help. But if your will is different, bend my will to yours. Remember, Paul with his thorn in the flesh? He wasn't happy to have it. Three times he pleaded to God, take it away, until God directly communicated with him. And from that direct communication, we can derive much strength and comfort. What did God say as he told him, not only not now, but no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so God's answer was no to him. And as a result of that, having moments before been pleading with God, this has got to go, this has got to stop. He's pleading with God in that way. The next he's saying, therefore I am content with weaknesses, with calamities, with hardships, for when I am weak, I am strong. It's like, wait a second. How did you go from absolute... You know, screaming, repeated desperation to contentment. And the word content in the ESV is, is a word that um, is, is, that's a softening of the word. It, it carries the sense of, I am delighted in. So, well, how is he delighted? Well, is he going to delight in the thorn? No, he's going to delight in the grace that accompanies the thorn. He's not going to delight in the thorn. I mean, what is he, mad? You know, that, that's not how it works. We, we don't uh, get thrilled about and and pretend uh, To to love the things that are agonizing and painful. But we love the grace. We love the strength that God provides. We love the cultivation of our character that he's working through it. We love the workings of grace that are accompanying it, right? Okay. And so when we pray, remember the simple words of scripture because people get caught up too much in things and I want us to remember this. Your kingdom come, Jesus says. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this simple exemplary prayer You know what he has not even come to any personal prayer. He's he's not at the personal prayer request stage yet. Is he? He's still hallowed be thy name Praise to him your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God exalted God first Then he moves on to his needs Sometimes I wonder, and sometimes I review uh, the direction of my own thoughts and have to do a little revision only to a few months later revise it again because it's just so easy to want what I want more than, more than coming to Him and saying, practically in this given circumstance, how it's going to work out, I don't know what your will is. Your will be done. I absolutely will yield to it. It hears my cry. It hears my need. Uh, Carrying the sense that we see, um, and I'm going to just jump down, if if you would, to uh, just skip a verse for a second. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays it, as we well know, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. James also gives this warning within it. It says, look, you desire and you do not, do not have, so you murder. You covet and do not obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, well, all I we gotta do is ask, and then I got it? Well, no. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own, passions your own desires your own wants you're asking and not receiving because what what is the heart of why you're asking for me for my happy happy for my comfort for my for my pleasure uh, for my relief yeah I'm kind of asking for me now. In the mercies of God, he does answer the prayers that we ask. We can pour out our hearts before him. But when he doesn't give us what we want, we should say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And and I'll paraphrase that into this practical circumstances. The Lord gives and then the Lord doesn't give. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's still worthy of our worship, is he not? not. Indeed so, because we know that when we understand the nature of the New Testament and we grasp it in a spiritual sense, he withholds no good thing from his children. Right? If you ask your father for bread, will he give you a rock or a scorpion or a snake? Will this happen? No. So how much more will your father in heaven give you the good things? Luke says the things of the Holy Spirit. And also, just uh, uh, to tie this in at the bottom in First John, it reminds us of this, and I wish people would not lose sight of this, in chapter 5, verse 14 and following. This is a confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, he hears us. Hold on a second. You skipped something. Yeah, a lot of people like to skip something, <laughs> because what does it say? If we ask Ask anything, according to His will. He hears us, and if we in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. We have. so listen. I, I please God something. His will. He's going to give it. You want to hear the other side? If it is not His will, to give it the will of God in our acting, and that a little hint because places have sadly often used as the blank there are not because they will oft say whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask the Father in name cannot you the name of Jesus is not a it's not a magic mantra you know it's the it's the same kind of thing uh, 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 one pastor used this example he said that um, if he had sent sent his credit card with a member of his church to go down to the store and and buy him a few groceries and bring them back. If that individual decides while he's buying the things, he deserves a little gratuity, so he's gonna throw a bottle of vodka on there as well. Well, here's the problem. If the cashier well knows that man, okay, he sees the name on the... (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry, but I know for sure he would never endorse this. Put that back. How dare you ask that? How dare you try to get that in his name? What's the matter with you? And so again, in that same sense, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie his head. You know, when we think of the things that Christ valued, what... uh, do, can we, Lord, I claim a bigger home in Jesus' name. Can I do that? Is that right? Now when I say that, has anyone ever done that? Sadly, yes. But you can't ask in His name things that He did not speak that we should value. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't seek the treasures of this earth. Store up your treasures in heaven. And Jesus gave a completely different system of values and priorities and passions, and so you don't dare come forward asking for self-serving, temporal, worldly things and tack the name of Jesus on to make it happen. Because it's not. Even better than the, the cashier saying, I don't think he would buy that. Listen, the father knows what the son would never cash, so it's not happening. So, uh, um, so catch that. Also, he then pleads in there for a little question on deafness. I cry, you do not answer, you do not hear, night and day. I find he's just. Uh, we see this struggle. Go on with me to page three. He cries also of devastation, violence, havoc, wrong. Actually, the word in this passage for uh, violence is the Hebrew word Hamas. You ever heard the word Hamas? You probably have. It's a, it's a name of a terrorist group in the Middle East. Although, if you ask them, they're not terrorists. You know, they're freedom fighters, as everybody everybody is in their own eyes, but. It is the word in Hebrew for violence. And it's a, that's a group that surely had committed themselves to, uh, we're going to enforce our agenda and try to accomplish our purposes, even if that means little bitty bits of violence involved in this. And then he cried again, deliverance, where is it? So if you really read in these verses, you, you see this sense in his, in his cries Within his cries to God in desperation, the scary thing is is the critical accusations that undergird them, okay? Don't hesitate to cry out to God. Don't hesitate to pour out your hearts before him. But as he does, he does so in a way that, that not merely pleads with God, but questions and challenges God as he goes. So much so that basically when he says, I cry out for help and you do not hear, there's a sense in which he's saying, you are unhelpful. You are unresponsive. You are unmoving. Inappropriately inactive and idle. Now, for that, I do have to briefly draw your attention to a section there because I know some have different translations in the group here tonight. It says this in verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Some translations say, why do you make me look upon the wrong? But the grammar in this passage, the ESV has handled it right. And, and many of your translation will say, why do you make me look at, uh, at, at wrong? The, the make me is in italics saying, by the way, this is not in the original language. Because there are two senses here. Here I am living in the midst of this. Go, oh God, why are you making me live and see this? And then the second phrase is not a repeat of it. It, it. it is actually in the second person and says, and why do you look upon it? And then that's just left, left to sit there. You look upon it and nothing's happening. I don't, I don't get it. You, you look, you see, but nothing's happening. You seem unconcerned. I I guess if I would summarize uh, uh, what seems to be stirring at the base of poor Habakkuk's heart here is, God, this is unacceptable. You need to fix this. See how he, hear what I hear. and if I had the opportunity to fly back in time and meet him I would say brother he sees more than he knows more than you the the degree of and all more abundant and abhorrent than you even get but what do learn is this why isn't he doing anything he himself has made known he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mercy so listen before before we're going to come to not only say how long in a pleading but having have kind of an underlying accusations and attitude behind it let us let us step back and say Maybe he has not brought judgment or fixed this or them yet Because he's slow to anger And I'll tell you what That he's slow to anger Has been a huge blessing to me many a many a time So do I really want to go there? Do I really want to Complain that he is patient and slow to anger? Do I, would I really want that to stop towards me at any point in time? So let me step back from this and say, and and maybe voice my confusion and my lack of understanding and my desire to see his righteousness poured out in wrath. Let me share those things, but let me not start to get combative and condescending to God. Oh boy, time is short. Uh, but what we see here... Um, confounding answer what you're doing nothing i've told you you've seen it you're still doing nothing i've kept telling you you're still not doing anything and what he doesn't realize is what god is doing something god has been using many of the years in which he is pleading to god To bring judgment. To strengthen. A wicked nation. To empower them. Say. Hold on a second. So. God's way of dealing with these wicked people. Is he's going to raise up. Other wicked people. Yes. God's way of dealing with. The violence that they're perpetrating, as Habakkuk cries, violence, is he's going to bring upon their heads violence. Yes, indeed. But that's not what I would have done. That's not how I would have done it. That's the wrestle that Habakkuk's going to go through here. But God tells him this. He says, look among the nations, see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am working a work in your days. Don't. You ever, no matter what's happening, for a moment think that I am not absolutely at work. Even in the things that you think are oversights, even in the things that you think are failures, even in the things that you think are glitches of some kind, now I am at work. But again, Habakkuk is learning as we so often do, God's way isn't His way. And, and scarier than that, I'm working a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. If I tell you how I'm working all this out, I have appointed a day to bring the judgment you're crying out for on these people. I have. I've fixed it. It's not when you thought it should come, but I fixed it. More than that, it's not who you think it should come by actually I am going to use who you would think would be the absolute worst candidate the, the if, if I was if you were to survey Habakkuk you know who's the most wicked fiendish his sense would be like well they actually need judgment even more than the children of Israel so uh. but why is God doing how he how he does it because he's God, and his ways are better, and more than that, and I say this in the sweetest and most loving sense that I can, he's God. So he gets to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants. Again, because he's God. Sometimes I think we, we miss that first point. We think God is just a name that we call him. It's not just a name. When we call him Lord, it's supposed to be attributed to him all existence and self-existence. When we say it in the New Testament sense, it is to be declaring him master. But why would someone say master, master, and then not do what he says? Does that make any sense? Come on. And so Jesus, uh, 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 through here, begins to communicate this and open it up a little bit for him. First he said, you would not believe even if I told you. And I think it's, this is the really cool. Uh, you won't believe even if I tell you. And then he tells him. And then you know what? He doesn't believe it. Curious, huh? For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, bitter and hasty nation, march through the breath. And it goes on to speak about just how brutal that they are in all this language. I'm always at work. I'm all, already at work. In the the subnotes there, it says, I'm working in wider or more wondrous ways than you can conceive. I'm working worldwide even now. You think I'm not doing stuff? You have no idea. I mean, he's upholding all of creation by the word of his power. I've I've said this. When you you step back for a moment and, and we think, how many people are praying God at any given moment? Do you try to wake up at 1 a.m. so that you can catch some free time? First of all, and beyond that, there are people praying at all day. But listen, uh, so how's God gonna hear me if all those people are praying? And in, in the midst of hearing that, how is he also controlling the tides and controlling the wind currents, the water currents, and the movement of the planets. How is he doing all of these things? How is he also. Uh, all of. Governments and leaders. And hearing all of our prayers. And determining which to answer. And which not to answer. How is he doing it all at once? Again. It's a simple answer. Because he's God. And that's why you know we've bemoaned how crazy it is those people who think we need to build a million dollar prayer tower so we can a little bit he can hear us better what i'm a prayer cave to get lower and he's going to still hear me just as good no i'm not going to build a prayer cave but you get my point it doesn't you know you could be in the depths of sheol and he could hear um Further, he explains to Habakkuk, see, what's happening, what I'm doing, it's just unseen by you. But I see what I'm doing. And it's all going according to plan. It's all right on time. And for you, the way I'm going to do it is very unexpected. He's sovereignly orchestrating severe sinners... He basically says, and I can paraphrase it, I'm sovereignly orchestrating severe sinners in my service. What? Well, read Isaiah chapter 10, and you see again a, 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 a declaration of that. Now, does Nebuchadnezzar know that God is mobilizing him for service? No. What's in Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Destroy. Violence. Pride. But why has he not attacked Israel and Judah sooner? Because of God's purposes and God's timing. Why is he turning to them now? Because of God's purposes and God's timing. Oh. So he's doing what God wants, where God wants, when God wants, even though he doesn't know God? Yes. And even though he thinks he's doing what he wants to do. Yeah. Yes. Though their God is their own might. In other words, he's stopped. As they've defeated kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, he's begun to think, in the end, it doesn't have anything to do with God's. I'm the man. Our power, our kingdom, we've got this. Um. What they trust and hope in is their God, is their own might. I'm actually God working in and through them my purposes. The Chaldeans and the Babylonians were the most wicked nation at that time. So simple things, sometimes we're going to be in those seasons where we cry out to God and where what we desperately feel we need does not come and we trust in God. We yield to His will. We don't, we don't let our appeals to Him become accusations of Him. We accept a no. We accept a His grace is sufficient. We accept that for some of us we'll be appointed to suffer and to die for His name. We accept that because He is God and we, and, and we take that at His word and we will not ever Accuse God of being unresponsive, unhearing, unhelpful, unmoved, unconcerned. We know that he's wise and just. And we glory in his mercy. We glory in his patience. And we can sit back with the confidence of what we've even heard today and say, even when it seems to my eyes, he's not doing what I think needs to be done. When it seems to my perception that he is not at work, he's abandoned the world to viruses or whatever it may be, know this he is at work in all parts of the world, accomplishing his purposes. His way of working is not what we would expect, his timetable is not what we would anticipate. And that's to be expected because he's God. And so we sit back and we serve him and we glory in a God who is sovereign over saints and sinners. Let's pray. Lord, again, so thankful that we can have a little time in your word this evening and uh, come together and hear it and then spend a little time in prayer now. As we do come to you in prayer, we, we can look at certain circumstances in our life, in our nation, in our world, and, and, and question how long. But even as we do, in light of what we've considered tonight, we know that the answer is, as long as you are pleased, as long as you have purposed, as long as is your design. And so, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Your grace is sufficient. Your promises are more than we need. And no matter what may come, dangers or pestilence, peril, famine, sword, nakedness, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we look to you in faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.